Welcome, welcome, welcome to another exciting edition of Sovereign BTC, your guide to the practical side of everyday Bitcoin use. This is our fifth episode. I want to thank the guys at the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast network, the guys and gals that is, for helping get us out to the world. Really enjoy doing the program and enjoy everything they're doing. Check out all the other shows they have there. Bitcoins and Gravy, Sex and Science Hour, Mad Money Machine, and more. That's letstalkbitcoin.com. We have a jam-packed program for you today. We're going to hear from Davi Barker. He's the author and activist, co-founder of Bitcoin Not Bombs, who was recently harassed by the TSA. You got it, folks, for having Bitcoin, or at least wearing a Bitcoin shirt. We'll hear more about that with an interview from Davi Barker. We're also going to be joined by Michael Cargill of Central Texas Gunworks. Central Texas Gunworks is actually one of our sponsors here on the program. I want to shout them out real quick. They're the first gun store in the state of Texas to accept Bitcoin. That's right, folks. And pretty soon they're going to be receiving a Bitcoin ATM. There's not many of them in the country. I'm really excited that two of them are located here in Austin, Texas. Uh, Central Texas Gunworks offers self-defense training, CHL courses, as well as firearm sales. You can check them out online at centraltexasgunworks.com. I want to thank them for their support of this program. We're going to chat with Michael Cargill. We're also going to hear a Fox 7. It's a local news piece that was done with Michael Cargill about their firearm sales with Bitcoin. And, man, he's he's really good when it comes to doing those media interviews. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Then we're going to chat with him about what it's like to accept Bitcoin and the Bitcoin ATM that we have coming up. We're going to give you a preview and the latest from the BitMom series on women in Bitcoin. BitMom, my lovely wife, Catherine Bleich. I want to congratulate her, actually. She just recently got a writing spot for Bitcoin Magazine. That's really exciting. I'm very proud of her and the work that she does. This week, she chats with Megan Duffield of Amagi Metals. They talk about silver alternative currencies using bitcoin and all sorts of good stuff you're going to enjoy that interview of course this is your guide to the practical side of everyday bitcoin use so this week we'll have yet another bitcoin tip of the week this time on two-factor authentication a way to keep your bitcoins safe i got a really cool tidbit that i captured at liberty forum up in new hampshire last year we're going to be sharing with you it's a little debate that took place a little tiff so to speak between daniel krywitz who's an expert on cryptocurrency, he writes for the Mises Circle, and Jeffrey Tucker of Liberty.me. These guys got into it about the altcoin versus Bitcoin debate. It's a rift that's forming within the movement that's been present since the beginning, and I captured a little bit of audio that exposes just how contentious this issue is. I think you're going to enjoy this one, folks. We're going to hit you with a quote of the week from none other than Eric Voorhees, big fan of Eric Voorhees, excellent communicator when it comes to the philosophy of Bitcoin and the philosophy of liberty. We're going to share a quote from him that's all about regulation in response to the Mt. Gox debacle. And finally, I'm going to deliver a refutation of an article that was published on naturalnews.com by Mike Adams, the health ranger. He's been a critic of Bitcoin for quite some time, and he recently published something on February 27th in response to the Mt. Gox debacle, just totally bashing Bitcoin. And the problem with this one, why I was so motivated to offer this refutation, is that he just demonstrates a complete misunderstanding of Bitcoin, how it works. Of course, he refers to it as a Ponzi scheme, like so many people do. So I give it a shot refuting that, and I also challenge him to a public discourse on the issue, see if we can learn something from one another. I'm sure you'll enjoy that as well. It's rather informative. This is Sovereign BTC. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Sovereign BTC. Find us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash SovBTC. 
And check out our website at SovereignBTC.com. Before we go any further, folks, let's hit you with this week's Bitcoin News of the Week, courtesy of the Liberty Beat. Japanese authorities Wednesday launched an investigation into the alleged theft of bitcoins from the now-defunct Bitcoin exchange Mt. Gox. At the same time, AFP News reports that U.S. prosecutors are believed to have served a subpoena on the company. The Japanese investigation follows claims of a multi-million dollar theft from the exchange's digital vaults. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal reports that U.S. federal prosecutors in New York have served Mt. Gox with a subpoena demanding certain unspecified documents. In other Gox news, the Tokyo-based firm announced the latest move for the troubled Bitcoin exchange Friday. USA Today reports CEO Mark Carpella speaking in a Tokyo courtroom seemed to suggest the hacking attack into the exchange that led to the loss of 750,000 Bitcoins. Carpels in court issued an apology to Mt. Gox customers saying he is sorry for the troubles he has caused. In the latest debate on what to do with cryptocurrencies, Senator Joe Manchin has mailed a letter to Treasury Secretary Jack Lew, Fed Chairwoman Janet Yellen, and other regulators asking them to take action against Bitcoin. Senator Manchin described Bitcoin's use on the Silk Road online marketplace and other black markets as reason for regulation or an outright ban. Senator Manchin's office remarked that the senator's comments do not currently extend to other cryptocurrencies. The senator stated, The clear ends of Bitcoin for either transacting in illegal goods and services or speculative gambling make me wary of its use. The Federal Reserve has no authority to regulate or supervise Bitcoin. That word Thursday from Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen when testifying before the Senate Banking Committee. The Guardian reports she was questioned about the digital currency by Senator Joe Manchin, who on Wednesday wrote to the Fed, the Treasury and other regulators, warning that Bitcoin is disruptive to our economy and should be regulated. Yellen said there is no intersection between Bitcoin and banks under the Fed's authority, meaning the Fed has no ability to regulate it. Man, I can't believe how fast things are happening in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Every single week, there's so much news to report on. I want to thank the folks at TheLibertyBeat.com for providing us with this week's Bitcoin News of the Week. Next, we're going to go to an interview with Michael Cargill of Central Texas Gunworks, CentralTexasGunworks.com, first gun store in the state to accept Bitcoin, and they're going to be set up with a Bitcoin ATM as well. It's all exciting stuff. First, we're going to play a clip from Fox 7, My Fox Austin. It's the local Fox affiliate here in Austin, Texas. And they interviewed Michael Cargill about his store's acceptance of Bitcoin. And they kept on trying to make it seem like he's somehow skirting around the FBI background checks. But of course, that's not the case. He did a fine job of overcoming that. And there's one line towards the end where he talks about the government having to catch up with the technology that just just, just really hit close to home, and I really appreciated his delivery of that particular line. Without further ado, folks, here's the Fox 7 piece, followed by an interview with Michael Cargill of Central Texas Gunworks. You can pay cash or credit, and now you can pay Bitcoin. An Austin store owner is the first in the state to accept the virtual currency for guns. Fox 7's Ann Wyatt Little is live in downtown Austin with more on why they're making the move. Ann Wyatt. Hi, Mike. Bitcoin transactions exist only online. Michael Cargill, the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, says FBI background checks will continue for law-abiding citizens, but he says those paying with Bitcoin may have a little more privacy. We're waiting for that first customer. 
Michael Cargill is ready to make his first sale using Bitcoin, a virtual currency he's been thinking about accepting at his store, Central Texas Gunworks. It's taken off in the liberty community, it's taken off in the libertarian community, um, and the tech community as well. The alternative transactions would pay for ammunition, CHL classes, and even guns. And when they buy that firearm, we're still going to do the FBI background check. They're still going to fill out the 4473. We're going to call the FBI and get the okay. Bitcoin recently celebrated its fifth anniversary. The online currency is largely unregulated and almost impossible to trace the buyer and seller. Something University of Texas business and economics professor Andrew Winston says is attractive to users. It's non-traceable computer-based money. And so it's attractive for people, as I said, who want to avoid disclosing what things they buy. There's a trail for credit cards. You can figure out who used the credit card, but you can't figure out who used the Bitcoin. So you can you know, cover your tracks that way, but not in a gun store, because we're still going to do the 4473 and do the background check and call the FBI. What raises a red flag for gun control advocates, Cargill says, is private gun sales between individuals, which his store doesn't do. You can take cash and buy something with it illegally. You can use a credit card and buy something with it illegally. You can use PayPal and buy something with it illegal. Uh, what we're doing is we're using BitPay to show people that we can purchase something and you can purchase something legally with it, including a firearm. In a statement, Lad Everett with the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence out of D.C. says private sales involving bitcoins are not going to be any more or less anonymous than transactions finalized with cash or other forms of payment. They involve no screening whatsoever and no record of sale. The list of companies accepting Bitcoin is growing, and Cargill expects the controversy around his decision will too. As far as the government, when I, I guess they need to keep up with technology, because technology is moving and we don't have time to wait for the government to educate themselves. Regulation may not, may not be too far down the road, at least for one state. In New York, the Department of Financial Services is holding a two-day hearing on Bitcoin and virtual currency regulations. The hearing is part of a fact-finding investigation that started in August. This week, two men were charged with conspiring to commit money laundering. The two are accused of having ties to the users of, the, of Silk Road. It's the underground website that sold illegal goods. New York's financial director says the current regulation is akin to the virtual Wild West. And just to give you an idea of how popular this is becoming, the exchange rate for Bitcoin in the dollar started at $22 and now it's up around 800 Mike? Yeah, we're hearing more and more about Bitcoin. Thank you, NY. And now we're joined by Michael Cargill. He's the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, which is the first gun store in the entire state of Texas to accept Bitcoin. Michael, thanks for joining us. Wow, thank you for having me. Uh, why don't you first start by telling us why Central Texas Gunworks decided to accept Bitcoin? Well, we wanted to accept Bitcoin because we wanted to uh, give our customers a little more security. Uh, we felt that, you know, allow them to come into the shop uh, and use Bitcoin, you know, we can eliminate credit cards. And um, by doing that, we're cutting out the middle person and giving that person the ability to actually be their own banker. And I think that's what Bitcoin does. That's great. Yeah, the decentralized fashion of it is, is really empowering and seems like a wonderful application for the purchasing of firearms. Have you had any sales with the Bitcoin yet? Oh, absolutely. Um, for the last two weeks, we've had sales every single day with someone uh, using Bitcoin, wow. whether it's on our website or inside the store. 
That's great. Tell us a little bit more about your business, Central Texas Gunworks. I understand you do more than just firearm sales, right? Yes, absolutely. We do a lot of different types of classes. We do beginning handgun classes, concealed handgun classes, level three, level four private security courses, and, and private 101 classes. Um, we also sell firearms. We're a manufacturer of firearms, and we're also an NFA dealer in firearms. You can actually come into the gun store and buy an automatic rifle. You can buy a suppressor, and you can use also Bitcoin. That's great. That's great. Now, you have a federal firearms license, so you're required to collect some information, do some background checks, run the info by the FBI. I noticed in the news piece that we played, it seemed like they kept trying to get you, uh, like this Bitcoin is somehow going to avoid uh, those regulations. Is that the same case with Bitcoin? Obviously, you answered this question multiple times in the news piece. Is it any different when you sell someone a firearm with Bitcoin than it is with cash as far as the regulations go? No, absolutely not. It doesn't matter which way you're going to pay for that firearm. We're still going to have you fill out the 4473. We're still going to call the FBI and do the background check. Did you get the feeling in that piece they were trying to imply perhaps that for some reason using Bitcoin you could avoid those uh, those regulations? No, we're not. Right, exactly. We're not going to avoid any regulations. We're going to follow the law. It doesn't matter how you pay for it. It doesn't matter if you win a firearm through uh, a giveaway or an auction or something like that. We still have to have you come into the gun store, fill out the 4473. You have to call the FBI and do the background check. That's great. That's great. I think you did that that interview really well. You really hammered some stuff home. Uh, my favorite line is when you said, technology's moving. We're not going to wait around for government to catch up. Explain your sentiments behind that 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 quote there, uh, a lot of people are, you know, sitting on their hands and they're nervous about accepting Bitcoin. They feel like it might add some extra layer of scrutiny on them. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think people should just go ahead and take the dive and, you know, to hell with what the government thinks? This is valuable for my customers, so we're going to do it? Absolutely. I think right now people are just afraid of what they don't know. You know, it's new. It's something that's new. They're not educated on it at all. So they're afraid to take that dive and jump into it and, and just start doing it. It's easy for uh, a retailer like myself to accept Bitcoin. It literally took us 15 minutes to integrate this into our system on our website. Nice. Um, it was even easier than that to start accepting it into the gun store. Um, so, and it's just like, with me, it's just like accepting cash. I'm still going to charge you the sales tax, you know, and I'm still going to pay the comptroller's office. So it's no different than accepting credit card, cash, um, or anything else. Do you and your employees think it's easier than using credit card? Absolutely. Um, right now, some of the transactions are probably taking a little long right now. But once we, you know, as we get further on along down the road, um, this, it, it, this, I think this is a, a really good thing. It allows the individual to, like I said, be their own banker and control their 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 purse screens a, a little better and also eliminate all those extra fees that the banks want to tack on. That's great. That's great. Now, the big news that's coming up is Central Texas Gunworks is set to host a Bitcoin ATM. Is that what I hear? Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. We're actually going to get a Bitcoin ATM. Um, it's a coin vault Bitcoin ATM that's powered by RoboCoin. Um, and you'll be able to walk into the gun store. You'll be able to buy, sell Bitcoin. You'll be able to you know, do $3,000 in transactions per day. And this machine will actually handle ten thousand dollars worth of transactions per day. Wow. Um, so you know, come on in, come on in, Central Texas Gunworks, buy those bitcoins, sell those bitcoins, and then actually come on over and and, and purchase a firearm. 
That's great. Tell us, before we let you go, what's the level of interest been in, in your business and in Bitcoin in general since that Fox 7 piece ran uh, at the end of January? Well, people are interested in how this works. You know, so I get people that are coming over to us, and I've actually printed out some materials on my counter there that explains it, you know, explains what Bitcoin is and how it works. I've actually been contacted by some other gun stores in the country because they're also interested in doing it as well. Um, I was at the Texas State Rifle Association's uh, dinner this past weekend, and a couple of the, the other gun store owners here in Texas, you know, pulled me to the pulled me to, to the side there, and, and they were asking me questions about Bitcoin, how does it work, how can they integrate it into their system, you know, what, were there any problems with it, you know, how easy, how hard it, you know, how hard it was. And so they're very, you know, interested in using Bitcoin. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for leading the way and really setting the trend in the gun industry here in Texas. Before we let you go, why don't you throw out some websites, the address, and a phone number people could reach you at Central Texas Gunworks. Awesome. My website is centraltexasgunworks.com. We're located in Austin, Texas on Ben White Boulevard. It's 321 West Ben White Boulevard, Suite 203 in Austin, and that's right uh, between South First and Congress. We're, we're just south of SoCo. All right, Michael. Thanks for everything you're doing for the cause of Bitcoin. Have a good one. Thank you. Gotta love what Michael Cargill's doing. He's doing some great work in the space of liberty as well as Bitcoin. Going to have that Bitcoin ATM set up out there. So you can order online from uh, Central Texas Gunworks. Again, they're one of the sponsors of our program. Visit centraltexasgunworks.com. If you're in the Austin area, check them out at 321 West Ben White Boulevard, Suite 203. That's 321 West Ben White Boulevard, Suite 203. You can call them by phone at 512-731-3585. Again, they offer firearm sales, CHL courses, and self-defense training. You can find them online at centraltexasgunworks.com. Now we're going to bring you the bitmom.com's interview with Megan Duffield of Amagi Metals. My lovely wife, Catherine Bleich, is doing a series on the women of Bitcoin. Last time she interviewed Stephanie Murphy. You can find that at thebitmom.com. And you can also find the full interview we're about to feature at thebitmom.com as well. Without further ado, here's Catherine Bleich, the Bitmom, interviewing Megan Duffield of Amagi Metals. That's one of the most beautiful things about alternative currency in general is it makes the Federal Reserve and a lot of the U.S. government's attempt at, you know, absorbing everyone's wealth uh, obsolete. So you've got Bitcoin and you've got precious metals and there's other, you know, interesting currencies that exist out there too, like money shares. Um, there's like a their own local currencies. I've heard of some in like Massachusetts and out west. Um, there's just a lot of really neat things that exist that transcend the Federal Reserve and its policies, and I support anything that has to do with that. And I think a lot of people, you know, can get into a box sometimes thinking about alternative currencies or even Bitcoin and have very negative views on maybe all the other altcoins that are out there, like Litecoin, Dogecoin, uh, there's one called Barbecue Coin. Uh, <laughs> All these alternative currencies out there, I say the more the merrier because <laughs> what do we love more um, as voluntar you know, voluntary-oriented people than a free market and choice? Um, so the more choices out there, the better, and the more opportunity to eventually build an infrastructure that can exist in a mainstream level 
and get rid of the Federal Reserve Bank. That's what's so fascinating to me right now is how quickly Bitcoin is exploding into the mainstream. I cannot believe how many businesses are signing on to accept Bitcoin. Um, you know, we we really hit the pavement here in Austin trying to get businesses to accept silver and you know, we didn't have too difficult of a time, but where we really struggled was finding people who were willing to spend their silver. People wanted to get it and they wanted to hold on to it. And what I think is neat about Bitcoin is people seem more interested in spending it. They see the value in its um, transaction systems and the ability to send money quickly versus with silver, it seems to be more slow moving. And so um, I think that's kind of an interesting dichotomy between the two. And this is just coming out of my head right now as I'm talking. I hadn't really thought much about right. this previously. And I think, that, I think that adds on to this. A lot of people argue that there's lack of an intrinsic value with Bitcoin. Um, and if you look at the infrastructure alone, I think you see a lot of value that hasn't been provided to the marketplace, like easy transactions, like international business um, made easy and stuff like that. So uh, I think that's very important to notate. Um, and there are a lot of critics out there of Bitcoin. And I always keep a skeptic, you know, a skeptic eye to everything. And as soon as I see thousands of people flocking to something and all agreeing, I know more questions need to be asked. And right now, I think, is the time for us to ask more questions about Bitcoin. And I appreciate this, the counter arguments against it and, you know, people fighting against having Bitcoin be this revolutionary instrument that it is. But, I mean, deep down, I, I think it has a lot of intrinsic value between being able to keep it somewhat anonymous, being able to send a transaction without the fees in a timely fashion and... um and yeah, so I agree with you on that. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty fascinating just watching the whole thing unfold. And I'm curious, you know, to see what happens if they if they try to overregulate Bitcoin, which I think, you know, even some Bitcoin proponents are supporting because they believe it's going to make it seem more mainstream. And I feel like if they're going to go that way with Bitcoin, it's just going to open the door for some other cryptocurrency or some other exactly. currency to fill the gap. And so it's it's really neat watching it. So, you know, why do you think it is that there aren't very many women involved in the alternative currency world? Oh, this is always such a difficult question because um, much like with anything where there's an imbalance of gender or ethnicity, there's just a lot of reasons. Um, but I did read, I mean, coming from being a, a Ron Paul activist, a Liberty activist, now I'm in more of the anarchy community. Um, there's always been a pretty, pretty big imbalance of male to female, but not as much as Bitcoin. I mean, we're talking <laughs> 95% male dominated uh, culture. Yeah, it's, and, it's seriously male dominated, like incredibly right. so. I think a lot of it comes from just the um, where a lot of the talk about Bitcoin originated. A lot of gamers, a lot of programmers, a lot of people in finance, which are already male dominated um, career paths. Um, and I have a feeling that has a, a big, a big, you know, part in there not being as many women. Mm -hmm. Um, but another great thing to notate is Bitcoin can be so beneficial to women because a lot more women and, you know, someone can correct me on this. I might just be pulling this out of my ass, but I feel like uh, a lot more women start small businesses, um, more service-based businesses and stuff like that, where they could really be benefiting off of accepting Bitcoin, especially if you're trying to, uh, 
avoid the state, which probably shouldn't say that. Hey, uh, say it, say it. Myself. Well, I'm trying wanna, to avoid the state. I don't want to be recorded anywhere. <laughs> come after me. <laughs> well, you're not trying to avoid the state, of course, of course. Right. Oh, not me. No, I pay all my taxes and I do everything on time. Good little citizen. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that's something that I'm really called to do is to help empower women to start small businesses, whether that is, you know, online or, um, you know, just peer to peer. I know there's several women in my life here in Austin who have recently started creating products and slinging them and they're doing really well. And it's just, it's, it's so amazing to watch people take an idea and turn it into reality. And Bitcoin seems to provide people with an avenue that allows them to maybe overcome some of those barriers to entry that come with starting a business the mainstream way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, it's created a lot of wealth in areas where people care about businesses flourishing. Um, if you think about all the wealth it created within the liberty movement, within um, people who are all about um, superseding the state, I mean, you have all of these like-minded individuals who have made a lot of money and would be more than happy to see someone like ourselves and say, hey, absolutely, this is just another way we can keep fighting the state. And they're going to be more likely to donate or you know, patronize your business. There you have it, folks. Again, the goal is to encourage more women to participate in the Bitcoin ecosystem. I know that Bitcoin is asexual, but there seems to be a void of ladies in the Bitcoin community. And Catherine is trying to overcome that to, to show women that Bitcoin's a great thing. You don't have to have a lot of technical expertise to get involved. It really is easy to use. And as she said in some of her interviews, she's doing it for selfish reasons, too. So there'll be more women and mothers and families to hang out with whenever we go to the Bitcoin meetup and hang out at Bitcoin events and all that good stuff. So check out the bitmom.com if you want to hear that entire interview that Catherine did with Megan Duffield. Well, folks, let's hit you with this week's Bitcoin tip of the week. This one's a good one on two-factor authentication. I think it's a very important tool that people ought to be using, especially with the hacking and the phishing and all that stuff that's going on out there. You can never be too safe with the Bitcoin, especially if you've got a lot of money locked up in your Bitcoin. Check out this week's Bitcoin Tip of the Week, sponsored by Blockchain.info. Using a complex password is the first step to ensure your Bitcoins are stored safely in an online web wallet. A great second step is two-factor authentication. This process provides a second layer of protection for your wallet. On top of entering your password, you are required to enter an additional numeric code to access your wallet. Blockchain.info's wallets make it easy for the user to choose their preferred method of two-factor authentication, which are email, SMS, Google Authenticator, or YubiKey. Blockchain.info recommends using Google Authenticator or a YubiKey. This week's Bitcoin Tip of the Week was brought to you by Blockchain.info, the world's most popular Bitcoin wallet. Simple and secure, Blockchain is the easiest way to get started using Bitcoin. To learn more or to create a wallet today, visit Blockchain.info. Now this is something that I captured on audio. I wasn't there for the panel. I recorded a lot of the speeches from this event. You can hear some of them at SovereignBTC.com. We have a podcast feed there that has a lot of the little tidbits that are featured in this weekly program. I was listening to the discourse that took place. It was a panel discussion on Bitcoin with Daniel Krywitz, Cody Wilson, and Jeffrey Tucker. That's one heck of a trio. I was listening to it on the plane ride home, 
and came across this interesting exchange that took place between Daniel Krywitz and Jeffrey Tucker. It was a debate about altcoin versus Bitcoin, and they were both on the extreme sides of the question. It starts off with Jeffrey Tucker raising an objection that he often hears regarding inflation with cryptocurrencies, saying, you know, there's so many different altcoins. If all of them just start popping out, we'll have inflation with the cryptocurrency. Uh, He refutes it. That's how this starts off. And then it gets into a little bit of words going back and forth between Daniel and Jeffrey. It's all in good fun, but I thought it would be interesting to include this interview in the program this week because I think it's indicative of a larger rift we see forming within the Bitcoin community. And I think it's always important for us to keep open, respectful, clear channels of communication moving forward cohesively and together. Here it is, folks. A little debate that took place between Daniel Krywitz and Jeffrey Tucker on altcoins. I mean, that's the way I see it is, is basically currency competition. I mean, Daniel like radically disagrees with me based on this dogmatic opinion that there should only be one currency. Give me, give me the microphone. No, no let me, well, hold on. Uh, so let me just answer. I, okay, I'm going to give you a short answer. answer. <laughs> <laughs> let me just answer this objection because I think it deserves an answer. I mean, uh, it's a relatively simple point that every altcoin lives within its own blockchain, its own ecosphere, its own ledger, and they don't mix. So there's no chance that there's going to be... I mean, the problem is that people imagine that there's going to be coins, 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 and everybody's going to be creating coins, and suddenly, like one day, we're going to wake up, and there's going to be tens of thousands of these things, and the whole world's going to explode in some sort of Weimar, you know, crypto hysteria, right? I mean, but this, 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 can't, this is the imagining. Uh, this can't happen because, because every ledger is itself separate and, and heavily uh, controlled. I mean, to the extent it's not pleased, it will, it will go down in value, uh, to the extent that it's um, like Bitcoin, uh, stodgy and you know Victorian and severe, which Bitcoin is, uh, then it's going to continue to retain its value. So that that's my answer to this. You know, I mean, look, it's a pedestrian kind of objection to cryptocurrency. It's maybe you think it's silly, but actually a lot of people have it, which is the reason I I, I bring it up to you. Okay. Well, yeah. I think I think you're right about that particular issue. It's just it, there's a difference in in brands. Like Bitcoin is a different thing from from Dogecoin. So if you create more Dogecoins, that that really has nothing to do with Bitcoin. And as to the point about the altcoins uh, being development platforms, yes, they are, and that's that's useful. My objection to them is not their use as development platforms. It, it's the it's their the, the pump and dump scams surrounding them like they shouldn't they shouldn't have value they they're not they're not a viable investment so you know if if you're telling me that this new altcoin is going to be the next big thing and i should invest in it like that's you know that's that's wrong you're lying okay um and you can you can offer a a litecoin bounty on something and that'll work as long as litecoin continues to be liquid but uh altcoins are still not viable in in the long run so you won't be able to do that ultimately. The, the difference is, is the network effect. So, so Bitcoin is much bigger, and it has a bigger network, and it's more liquid, which makes it more valuable as a currency. And uh, there, uh, there, there isn't an equilibrium between two currencies on the free market. Wh- whichever one is the superior currency will grow at the expense of the weaker currency. And so, so that means that because Bitcoin is the biggest, it... it it is better than any of the smaller ones, and and it will ultimately grow at their expense. Nothing left to be bigger. 
Well, if you invented an, a, a new currency that was as great of a technological advancement over Bitcoin as Bitcoin is over the dollar, then, then it could defeat Bitcoin. But that's not true of any of the altcoins. And, uh, you know, the only reason you could do that with Bitcoin is that the dollar is so terrible. Can I just say something about Dogecoin here? I mean, Daniel is, like, so uh, patriotic about Bitcoin. Sometimes, sometimes it upsets even me. I mean, you know, I understand your whole theory and, and, and all that. I, l I know that you love Satoshi, and I do too. But is it... This is not an emotional issue. This is my analysis based on Austrian economics. Yeah, okay. let me just give Austrian economics. Look, Austrians, if Satoshi had studied Austrian economics, he never would have been, invented Bitcoin, buddy. You know, I mean, come on. This thing is so implausible, and it's actually worked. So, well, I, oh, anyway, I, I dis, I okay. With that. Do, Dogecoin. Wait, you know what's cool about Dogecoin? <laughs> what's cool about Dogecoin is that it, it's marketable, it's fashionable. Remember the old days when, when, when wine was named like, you know, Marcel de Pop Le Bleu de Bleu, right? <laughs> and nobody could understand a damn thing about it. Now, you go to the store and you buy, you know, like Red Truck and Three Sisters and Frog's Breath and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that's what wine has come down to. Yes, the old wine snobs look down on it, whatever. But that's how I buy wine, right? How do we know for sure that in the future people aren't going to acquire currencies based on, on their coolness factor? And Dogecoin is far more cool than Bitcoin. Let's just face it. It's just a fact. And we can't discount the subjective element. That was a good one. I'm going to be sure to share it with both of them. I'm sure they'll enjoy that it was included here in the Sovereign BTC program. I think people in the audience got a treat there. Uh, it'd be good for one of these Bitcoin conferences to have a debate, actually, between those who think altcoins are ridiculous. I call them Bitcoin elitists. No offense. And those who think uh, it's okay, let's let the market decide. The altcoins have their own little unique uh, you know, values and, and uses. So I think the market should decide. That's my particular opinion, but I just wanted to share that with the audience. I think it's an interesting discourse that's taking place right now within the Bitcoin ecosystem. Let's go and hit you with this week's Bitcoin quote of the week. Of course, Mt. Gox crashed and crumbled down. The media was quick to jump all over it and say, Bitcoin is dead, and this is an example of why we need regulation. And the, the Senator Manchin came out and said, we need to protect you. You don't know what's good for yourself. Well, Eric Voorhees, leave it to Eric Voorhees, libertarian, stellar guy, really smart Eric Voorhees, a strong businessman and an excellent proponent, great communicator of everything that is Bitcoin. He posted a Reddit response to everything that's going on, encouraging people to stay strong and to keep their head up. And one of the things that was in this response really stuck with me, and I appreciated the way he put this. He says, The lesson is not that we ought to seek out regulation to save us from the evils and incompetence of man. For the regulators are men too, and wield the very same evil and incompetence, only enshrined in an authority from which it can wreck amplified and far more insidious destruction. Let us not retreat from our rising platform only to cower back underneath the deranged machinations of Leviathan. Very nicely put, Eric. I really appreciate that message getting out there. That's right, folks. We have a wonderful opportunity before us to truly embrace the value of a free market economy, uninhibited by external coercion, uninhibited by the arbitrary whims of regulators, uninhibited by the good old boy network. I'm not going to say it's going to be perfect, of course. There's already finagling going on and fraud taking place. But whenever you enable the state to get involved, it's fraud that takes on an air of legitimacy. And the masses just think it's okay because it's sanctioned by the state. And after all, these 
bureaucrats aren't going to do any harm. In fact, they're in place. They're in a position of power because we trust and respect them. It's a bunch of hogwash, folks. Look out. For those of you calling on regulation, I ask you this. Why is Bitcoin around in the first place? Satoshi Nakamoto put it out to the world because he saw a need for it, because he saw that the central banks, the Federal Reserve note, these fiat currencies were doing rough shot with people's rights, with the value of money, with a, having a suitable medium of exchange for the world. He put it out there for that very same reason. Now, why the heck do you want to bring these manipulators, these conniving regulators and central planners into the fray? Why would you ask them to join in on the Bitcoin ecosystem? I don't get it. I think people think it's going to legitimize the currency and increase its value. Maybe there's a little bit of self-interest in play. I think personal responsibility trumps regulation every day. That's the opinion of the Sovereign BTC podcast. Now, in a related story, Mt. Gox crashed. Everyone comes out of the woodwork calling out Bitcoin, saying it's going to collapse, saying it's terrible. And along comes Mike Adams, whom I have some respect for. He is the proprietor of naturalnews.com. He goes by the token Health Ranger. And he is not a fan of Bitcoin. He nor Alex Jones, many people know of him through Infowars.com, probably the most prominent conspiracy theorizer out there. Just a quick note, I am not an opponent of conspiracy theorizing. I subscribe to the conspiratorial view of history. There, I do believe there's a small group of people that are manipulating world events for their own benefit. I think there's no secret about that, really. It's hardly a conspiracy. And I'm always... Uh, Subscribe to the philosophy of questioning everything. In fact, my wife has it tattooed on her forearm. Question everything. And we teach it to our children. And uh, I question everything. And in fact, I question things like uh, the collapse of World Trade Center 1, 2, and 7. And back in 2002, I actually began questioning that. And that's partially what led me down the rabbit hole, which is, you know, 12 years later, 13 years later, uh, brought me uh, to Bitcoin. It's what spurred my activism. So, I am not an opponent, or, or, or nor, nor do I bash conspiracy theorizing, but Mike Adams' website, naturalnews.com, is, is chock full of conspiracies, and it sounds like he's got a conspiracy to push his himself about Bitcoin being a, nothing more than a pyramid scheme, a multi-level marketing Ponzi scheme, as he puts it. So, he published an article on February 27th, the title is, As Bitcoin Exchange Mt. Gox Collapses, Man Who Predicted the Crash Employs, Implores Bitcoin Holders to Stop Being Suckered In to a Digital Ponzi Scheme. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. You've heard it time and time again, Bitcoin as a Ponzi Scheme. We're going we're gonna to refute that claim, that myth, as well as many others that at Mike Adams has included in this this article that's just riddled with fallacies and all sorts of inaccuracies, and to me it just represents a larger misunderstanding. Uh, his buddy Alex Jones is no fan of Bitcoin either. However, with Jones, I suspect that Alex Jones is anti-Bitcoin because one of his most prominent sponsors, who also happens to own Genesis Communications Network, this is some conspiracy theorizing on, on my own here, but uh, it, one of the big sponsors is Midas Resources, which is a precious metals broker. And it would appear to me that Mr. Jones believes, again, I don't know if this is true or not, this is just my theory, uh, that Jones thinks Bitcoin represents a threat to the gold and silver. I don't know. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I, I think the best thing Midas Resources could do would be to innovate and to go along like Roberts & Roberts Brokerage Incorporated 
or Amagi Metals has done, or Capital Coin and Bullion based here in Austin, Texas. They accept Bitcoin in exchange for their precious metals, and they're better off for it. They're getting new business that they wouldn't have had before, and they're giving their customers the opportunity to uh, purchase the gold and silver um, at a very fast, easy, simple, you know, no fees. Same thing on the, the business end. So it's just a, a good lesson not to be afraid of new things, to embrace them, to hop on the, the innovation innovation train. Okay, so here's the article. We're going to go by it bit by bit. And I have this in written form as well at SovereignBTC.com. You could check out my written refutation. I also want to throw this out there. I'm going to go ahead and challenge Mike Adams. I'm not going to call it a debate. We'll call it a discourse. Mike Adams, you live here in Central Texas. So do I. I'm challenging you to a discourse to join me, maybe at Brave New Books, maybe somewhere else, maybe just by phone or Skype if that's the case. Join me in a discussion about Bitcoin. This uh, you, you fired the first shot with your article. You've had articles in the past. I'm responding to your many claims in this article, and I'd love to hear a response from you. Better yet, I'd love to have a conversation with you about this topic so we can both learn from each other. It starts by saying... The Bitcoin infrastructure is subject to the whims of just one person running Mt. Gox, who can arbitrarily decide to shut it down whenever he thinks the market needs a cooling period, in quotes. This is nearly equivalent to a financial dictatorship where one person calls the shots. To that I say, where's the evidence for this? Subject to the whims of one person? I don't understand where you get that from. It's the market that reacted to one of the larger exchanges' mishandling of their business. Poor business practices. Apparently now there's a... Allegations of theft of massive amounts of Bitcoin. Mt. Gox covered that up, tried to cover their losses, pulling money from here or there, and ended up biting them in the bottom. Uh, it's not subjected to one man, one man's preferences, one man's whims. There's going to be malinvestments and mismanagement in any economy with any currency or medium of exchange. And that's isolated to the individual, the individual business. Of course, there's ripple effects, especially when it's a larger exchange, and especially when it's so new in the uh, Bitcoin lifespan. So it's going to be amplified compared to more uh, entrenched currencies or medium of exchange. But this has nothing to do with Bitcoin itself. This was a bad actor. You're going to have bad actors in all sorts of different exchanges, all sorts of different economies. I don't know why he says cooling period in quotes. I did a search on the Internet. I didn't see anything about Max Carpella saying anything about a cooling period. Um, I guess he just made that up, perhaps. I did a search online, and the only thing I could come up with was this specific article. So he, he goes on to say, Just two days ago, the largest Bitcoin exchange, Mt. Gox, suddenly and without warning, shuttered its doors, blocking all customers from accessing their accounts, which are collectively worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, if you're going to come out strong against Bitcoin, at least get your facts straight, Mike. Mt. Gox hasn't been the largest Bitcoin exchange since late September or early November, somewhere along those lines. That's according to the exchange, the, the volume that's exchanged, the volume of Bitcoin that's exchanged. And I got that data from Bitcoinity.org, which is an excellent resource that's always on, on point with all the different exchanges and all sorts of different information. That's Bitcoinity.org. You can see the link there in the article at SovereignBTC.com. He goes on to say... In big bold, Health, Red, Health Ranger calls Bitcoin crash again. I'm on the record as the one person who accurately and publicly predicted the massive 2013 Bitcoin crash just 24 hours before it happened. Well, of course, this crash, I believe it was around April 2013, what he's referring to, uh, that was also due to Mt. Gox having some problems. Uh, they couldn't keep up with their own volume. Who knows, maybe part of the theft was taking place around that time. That's just speculation. 
But I think it's interesting to note that back then, Mt. Gox was the largest Bitcoin exchange. They handled much more volume back then. And their mishandling of the influx of business and exchanges led to a massive crash, like a 50% dive in Bitcoin prices. This time around, Mt. Gox is not as prominent in the Bitcoin economy. More exchanges have surfaced. More exchanges are doing more volume. And we can see that the price of Bitcoin was more insulated from Mt. Gox's mismanagement and mishandling of their business. So if anything, that's a sign of Bitcoin's resiliency. That should be looked on uh, in, a, in a positive light rather than a negative light like Mt. Gox and, and everyone else is trying to, I'm sorry, like Mike, Mike Adams and everyone else is trying to paint it. Of course, you see it splashed all through the media. The end of Bitcoin, the end of Bitcoin. Uh, LA Times even ran an article, Bitcoin virtual currencies on, is on verge of collapse. I think it was Eric Voorhees who said it best. Uh, this is an interview with Forbes, I believe, online. And he says, you know, if Gmail were to fail or crash, does that mean the email system, the email protocol would not work? It's the same thing. Mt. Gox crashes. If blockchain.info ceases to function, a wallet service or Bitstamp, the exchange stops working, it doesn't mean the Bitcoin protocol is going to stop work, stop working. And as again, as I said, we saw Mt. Gox failed in the past. Mt. Gox failed again, and the price difference, uh, the reaction in the market was actually smaller than before. To me, uh, that's a good sign. He goes on to say, and this is in parenthesis, this is in italics. He wrote this back in April, actually, and he's reiterating it here. Keep in mind that Mt. Gox makes money off Bitcoin transactions, meaning the organization has every reason to spin bad news, just like Wall Street, and keep the market churning so that more transactions are taking place. And here he goes, he throws a little pot shot right here. Listening to Bitcoin advice from people who are making money off of Bitcoin transactions is a lot like listening to Obama promise you he'll protect your liberty. I see what you're doing there, Mike. I, I can appreciate that, except, Mike, you sell health products on your website, and I'm sure you make a good amount of money from those health products, and I'm really excited about your expansion, innovating all sorts of stuff. Now you have a, a medical lab, fully professional, certified medical lab. That's great, but... Mike, isn't listening to health advice from someone who makes money off of health products the same thing as listening to Obama promise you how to protect your liberty? I mean, come on. People that are invested in a particular product, of course they're going to push it out. Maybe it's profit-driven. Maybe it's driven by the fact that they're excited about a particular product and they want to share value and everyone else. They want to spread the love of Bitcoin, which I see for a lot of people in the Bitcoin ecosystem. There's a lot of evangelizers. There's a lot of people that aren't just in it to make money, but that are in it because they genuinely believe in the value of Bitcoin, unlike, of course, Obama genuinely believing in liberty. But I think it's different with you, Mike. I think you genuinely believe in the value of the health products that you're selling. You're not just selling them to make a profit. So I'd like to throw your little analogy out uh, with the bathwater on that one. You then go on to say, you are a fool if you believe anything now coming out of the Bitcoin cult. That's two ad homonyms in one sentence, Mike. I think you could do better than that. He goes on to say, here's another big headline, Mt. Gox crash makes total fools again out of Bitcoin apologists. He says, for all we know, the very founders of Mt. Gox simply swiped everyone's Bitcoins and fled to Japan en route to the Cayman Islands where they'll enjoy a life of luxury, laughing it up at all the gullible suckers who bought into the Ponzi scheme in the first place. Speculation. A couple days later, we come to learn that, in fact, Mt. Gox has filed for bankruptcy and they are, the CEO is not running away and living in luxury. He's probably pretty pretty damn embarrassed now and now is going to sort it all out 
and the legal system. Now, he goes on to say, and he just said it right there, that Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme. He says, every piece of bad news will be spun by exchanges like Mt. Gox and good-sounding news. As Bitcoin was crashing yesterday by 60% in value in mere hours, Mt. this is what he wrote back in April, Mt. Gox announced it was a victim of our own success. So while Bitcoin holders watched $1 billion in market valuation evaporate, Mt. Gox called it a success. This is part of his, uh, his argument that Mt. Gox is a Ponzi scheme. He says, yes, Bitcoin looks a whole lot more like a Ponzi scheme than a legitimate currency at this point. So, as has been done in multiple different areas, let's go ahead and refute the fact that Bitcoin's a Ponzi scheme. Let's start by examining the definition of a Ponzi scheme provided to us by the lovely Securities and Exchange Commission. It states a Ponzi scheme is an investment fraud that involves the payment of purported returns to existing investors from funds contributed by new investors. Ponzi scheme organizers often solicit new investors by promising to invest funds and opportunities claimed to generate high returns with little or no risk. In many Ponzi schemes, the fraudsters focus on attracting new money to make promise payments to earlier stage investors to create the false appearance that investors are profiting from a legitimate business. That's a pretty good definition. I can accept that definition. I hope the listeners could accept that definition. I'm sure Mike Adams would accept that definition. Let's break it down point by point. The first point made is that a Ponzi scheme is an investment fraud that involves the payment of purported returns to existing investors from funds contributed by new investors. There is no fraud taking place with Bitcoin as a whole. Sure, there are bad actors within the Bitcoin ecosystem who may be engaging in fraud, but Bitcoin as a whole is not fraudulent. The Bitcoin network is doing exactly what it claims to do, how it says it's going to do it, and when it says it's going to do it. No one is purporting returns for new investors from funds contributed from old investors. It's simply not happening. Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer marketplace. There's no central corporation, individual, or group promising fraudulent returns on behalf of the Bitcoin network. It's just not happening. Now, there are bad actors exploiting uninformed users, but no one's centrally commanding the whole network. Bitcoin is an open book. It's open source, and all of the transactions can be seen publicly through the Bitcoin blockchain. It's kind of hard to engage in fraud at a mass scale or for Bitcoin to be engaging in fraud. There's not even any human actor that's dictating what happens with Bitcoin. It's a marketplace. Again, there's no fraud taking place with Bitcoin as a whole, no false promises, and no purported gains from previous investors. The second point in our definition is a Ponzi scheme organizers often solicit new investors by promising to invest funds and opportunities claimed to generate high returns with little or no risk. There are no Bitcoin organizers. It's a decentralized peer-to-peer network not managed or controlled by one person or one group. Bitcoin as a whole is not claiming to generate high returns with little or no risk. In fact, many Bitcoin proponents advise new users not to put in more than they're willing to lose. And I think that's a mighty fine piece of advice myself. That's just the opposite of what a Ponzi scheme is hoping to do. Here's the third point in the definition of a Ponzi scheme, the third element. In many Ponzi schemes, the fraudsters focus on attracting new money to make promise payments to earlier stage investors to create the false appearance that investors are profiting from a legitimate business. Again, there is no one controlling Bitcoin, and there are no central operators who could be fraudsters. Bitcoin is not a zero-sum game. New users can benefit just as early adopters can benefit. No one is gaining at anyone else's expense. There is no false appearance of anything. The number of Bitcoins, the strength of the network, and the transactions are all open source and public through the blockchain. I'll say it again. It's probably not for the last time we're going to have to say this because it keeps popping up. Bitcoin is not a Ponzi scheme. He goes on to say how to avoid being victimized by Bitcoin schemes. 
He says uh, people are trying to sell it, that they're, it's a quick way to make financial gain without any effort whatsoever. He says, honestly stated, most people who got into Bitcoin for the simple, raw reason that it was a get-rich-quick opportunity. Buy low, sell high. It's like the same scam repeated throughout the history of financial markets and made famous by people like Ponzi and Bernie Madoff. To that I say, do you have a source for this? That's not why I got into Bitcoin. I would suspect most get into Bitcoin for the promise it has to free exchanges from the clutches of centralized and coercive institutions. Not everyone buys low or sells high. Many people hold the Bitcoins and use it in exchange for goods and services, or they just use it as a means of sending value across the world very quickly. They don't even hold the Bitcoin. They hold Federal Reserve notes or central bank currencies, and then when it's time to send money across the globe or even across the state, they buy Bitcoin, they send it to their friend, to their business partner, to the consumer of their product, or to the service they're engaging in, and they receive the Bitcoin and exchange it. Nobody's even holding the Bitcoin. And in fact, it's... In, in my eyes, and the real value of Bitcoin is more of a medium of exchange, an easy, fast, no cost, little to no cost medium of exchange. I think there's more value in it as a medium of exchange than there is as an investment. And I think most people see that and believe that. And that's why the price is rising in my eyes. He goes on to say the hype that propelled Bitcoin's initial rise was, of course, chock full of seductive messages and tempting promises. But in retrospect, nearly all the Bitcoin buzz was generated entirely by the very people who stood to benefit from a rise in Bitcoin's value. Now, everyone who buys into Bitcoin stands to gain from the, ri- stands to gain from the rise in Bitcoin value. That's early adopters and new users. And again, people are excited about this. Of course they're going to tell everyone about the value. It's not just because it might make them a little more money if everyone buys in, more and more people buy in, the infrastructure gets bought out. It's because these people truly believe in Bitcoin. And that's not something you see about people that use Visa or MasterCard or PayPal or Western Union. You don't see people that are you know, blogging on their website, that are doing radio programs like myself, that are up at 4 a.m. posting stuff on Reddit and spreading the word and talking to their whole family about how great it is to use Western Union. No, there's people that genuinely believe in this because it's amazing. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and it's really changing the world, but Mike Adams doesn't seem to think so. He goes on to say Bitcoin was essentially a multi-level marketing currency Ponzi scheme. He says rationality was entirely abandoned, largely by people who technically should know better, because Bitcoin-type people tend to be among the highest IQ people in society. Yet even they lose massive IQ points when tempted by greed. And again, he's trying to make the point that Bitcoin adopters are trying to sell people on Bitcoin just for the sole reason that they can make more money. I would argue that anyone that opens a new business or manufactures a widget you're going to have to market the product in order to get it out to more people. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing evil about that. There's no malice involved with encouraging people to purchase a product that you're bought into, that you're invested in. Now, here's something that I actually agree with in the article. Probably about the only thing. He says, my best advice, buy a farm with a water supply and grow your own food. Now, being a star in the reality show and the executive producer of Sovereign Living, I, of course, also subscribe to the philosophy of sustainability, the idea that we shouldn't rely on centralized or coercive institutions for our food or any other service that's provided for that matter. And I agree, yes, I do think owning a farm would be more valuable than simply owning Bitcoin. But here's the thing, Mike. Why can't you own both? And better yet, why don't you buy a farm with Bitcoin. And I have just the place you can go to do so. PorcupineRealEstate.com. Good friend of mine, Mark Warden. He's an activist with the Free State Project. Not only is he accepting Bitcoin for his 
New Hampshire state representative race, but he also accepts Bitcoin in exchange for the real estate that he's offering. PorcupineRealEstate.com. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you can buy a farm on PorcupineRealEstate.com. So, Mike Adams, my question is, why not use Bitcoin instead of Federal Reserve notes to buy a farm? And again, why aren't you celebrating Bitcoin? I know you're an obvious opponent of the Federal Reserve banking system. It seems like it, you know, if you were informed about Bitcoin and if you understood that, in fact, it's not a Ponzi scheme, as I explained before, you should celebrate Bitcoin because it allows the opportunity for people to exchange value without relying and in turn giving value and credence to central banks. Every time you use those Federal Reserve notes, Mike, you're giving value to the Federal Reserve system. People say Federal Reserve notes have no value. To that I reply, if you believe they have no value, you can send them my way. Check out SovereignBTC.com. You'll learn how you can donate Federal Reserve notes. They have value because people see them as a valuable medium of exchange. On top of that, there's legal tender laws, and there's scores and scores of armed men that are forcing people to see value in it. But nonetheless, every time you use them, you're giving value to the system. So if you really want to be a rebel, if you really want to end the Fed, I strongly suggest you use alternative currencies instead of the Federal Reserve note. And what better alternative currency to use than Bitcoin? Transfer value across the world. You can even buy a sustainable farm with a strong water supply and the ability to grow food. Because I agree, Mike, when crap hits the fan, the power grid is down, the internet's down, it's going to be a lot harder to exchange Bitcoins. That's right. And when you have an empty belly and you're not able to feed your kids, food is going to be much more valuable than your paper wallet or your cold storage hard drive or those Bitcoins that are that are sitting on a blockchain.info wallet online that you can't access because the electricity's down, the power's down, and there's no internet. There hasn't been for months. Yes, food is more valuable. I agree. That's why it's important for everyone in the Bitcoin ecosystem who hasn't yet thought of that. Crap could hit the fan. If you're listening here in America, you're certainly not vulnerable. If you're listening across the world, which many people are, perhaps you live in a country that's experienced hyperinflation or some sort of economic collapse. Food is not easy to come by in those situations, so I would implore everyone to take to take, in some sense, Mike Adams' advice and look into growing your own food. But you don't have to have this either-or, this mutually exclusive style attitude because you can have a farm and Bitcoin at the same time and you can be excited about both of them. In fact, not only can you buy a farm with Bitcoin, but you can also do like they did with Sean's Outpost down in Florida and they bought a property with Bitcoin and now they're building homes for the homeless and they're building sustainable food gardens for the homeless. How about that? What do you know? People donated Bitcoin, turned around, bought a farm with it, and now they're using it for good. In closing, Mike, I wish you would look a little deeper into Bitcoin before carelessly bashing it, as you have done once again with this article. The promise the technology has to undermine the banks and free the economy is priceless. It actually helps what I perceive as your goals. Use Bitcoin to free the market, and in turn, we can free the world. I'd like to challenge you again to a public discussion on Bitcoin. We can do it by phone. We can do it by Skype. I'd prefer to do it in person. Again, I'm a fan of yours. We've met a couple times in the past. I appreciate your work, but I don't appreciate your position on Bitcoin. I just think it's uninformed. I hope there's no other reasons behind that. Uh, But again, I'm throwing that offer out there. I'd love to have a discussion, love to learn more about your position, and I hope that you could learn more about my position. Sovereign BTC responding to this article. Again, you can see the written version of this refutation of the article as Bitcoin exchange Mt. Gox collapses, man who predicted the crash implores Bitcoin holders to stop being suckered into a digital Ponzi scheme. You can read it at SovereignBTC.com. And once again, for the record, 
Bitcoin is not a Ponzi scheme. Just a quick reminder, the Texas Bitcoin Conference is right around the corner, March 5th and 6th. Might as well stay for South by Southwest. That starts the very next day. You're not going to want to miss this one, folks. Tickets are still available. Wonderful speaker lineup, including Ben Swan, Jeffrey Tucker, Andreas Antonopoulos, Stefan Molyneux, Representative Larry Gonzalez. He's the Texas state rep that accepts Bitcoin for campaign contributions. Anthony Gallippi of BitPay. Jason King from Sean's Outpost. There's going to be a lot about Bitcoin philanthropy uh, with a charity luncheon, Bitcoin Not Bombs, Free Aid, Antiwar.com, and also supporting Sean's Outpost. Charlie Lee, uh, the creator of Litecoin, will be there. The Bitcoin Wife, uh, myself and my wife, will be speaking and screening Sovereign Living Episode 4, the Bitcoin episode. Cody Wilson will be there. MK Lords, Dr. Robert Murphy. The list goes on and on, folks. It's going to be a good event. Plus, there's a hackathon taking place with up to $1 million worth of prizes in cryptocurrency as well as cryptocurrency contracts. You're definitely going to check that out. There's a bunch of great events that are surrounding this conference as well. You can learn more and you can buy tickets at TexasBitcoinConference.com. As I said, myself and my lovely wife, the BitMom, are going to be speaking at this. So we'd love to see you out there. I'd love to meet you. We'll have a table representing Sovereign BTC. And we'll have some cool shirts to hook you up with as well. So check it out. That's March 5th and 6th. More information at TexasBitcoinConference.com. On Sunday, February 23rd, Davi Barker, libertarian activist and author, as well as a co-founder of Bitcoin Not Bombs, had a run-in with the TSA coming out of the Manchester airport after Liberty Forum 2014. Interestingly enough, the TSA was suspicious about his Bitcoins. We caught up with Davi to ask him more about exactly what happened. So Davi, tell us exactly what happened. You were pulled aside. Did that have something to do with the Bitcoin shirt you were wearing you reported? I am assuming that it has something to do with the Bitcoin hoodie I was wearing because that was the only thing related to Bitcoin on my person. Normally I carry flyers or lapel pins or something like that, but I had sold out of Bitcoin paraphernalia at Liberty Forum. So all the lapel pins in my bag were different topics. All the flyers, I didn't, I didn't have any flyers in my bag. But they did say that they saw Bitcoin in my bag. So I know that they're lying. <laughs> so they said they saw Bitcoin in your bag and wanted to count the Bitcoin. Is that correct? Well, they said that they wanted to make sure that I wasn't carrying in excess of $10,000, which apparently is some sort of international travel regulation. But of course, I was flying to San Francisco. <laughs> now, do you assume that they thought these lapel pins were physical representations of Bitcoin? Is that the case? That is what I'm assuming. What I'm assuming happened is they saw my sweatshirt, which had the Bitcoin bomber on it, and then they saw the x-ray of my backpack, and they saw all this miscellaneous metal, and they thought that they hit the jackpot on a stockpile of Cassatius coins. They probably underwent some sort of training with a PowerPoint presentation or something that had a photograph of the brass Cassatius coins, and they just didn't pay very close attention to that training. What kind of questions did they ask you? Um, they, they said that they, well, they wanted to know where I was flying. They wanted to know that nothing really, I mean, I evaded all of the questions. So it sort of came around to, uh, you know, answer, just answer the question. We're the ones answering the question here. And I, of course, batted that back and I said, are you conducting an investigation? Do I have an obligation to answer these questions? So, uh, but they asserted that they saw Bitcoin. They said, we saw it in your bag and we just need to check. It just shows how knowledgeable they are about Bitcoin. How did it make you feel that you got pulled aside, singled out for your alleged carrying and, and transacting of Bitcoin? I got to tell you, I was pretty scared. I thought I was going away. 
uh, because I'd never heard of the TSA looking for Bitcoin before. I've had run-ins with the TSA before, and so I'm pretty familiar with their script. And so the moment that they were off script and they were asking about something, I knew that the government wanted to associate with like drug cartels or child pornography or something. I thought they were going to take me away. Wow. Do you have any advice you could give to travelers who also wear Bitcoin shirts or may carry Bitcoin on a hard drive or on a smartphone application? I would say continue to wear your Bitcoin shirts. If you want to be careful about it, I would say not to have it obvious that the Bitcoin is on your phone or on your laptop or whatever. But they didn't they didn't ask to see my laptop or my phone or my pen drive. So they obviously don't really know what they're looking for. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I'd like to hear from more people who have had this happen because I'd like to begin to sort of compiling information and figuring out what they're doing. Now, you have a written report of what took place on your website. Is that correct? Can you give us the link for that? Yeah, the full write-up is, is at dailyanarchist.com. And then the audio that I and Bill Bupert recorded in the airport terminal uh, is at bitcoinnotbombs.com. Well, nobody likes going through the TSA. Nobody likes being harassed. And I imagine we've entered a new frontier of Bitcoin-related TSA harassment. So I'm sorry you had to be one of the first, but thanks for reporting on it, and thanks for joining us today, Davi. Yeah, no problem. Well, folks, this was one heck of a jam-packed edition of Sovereign BTC, your guide to the practical side of everyday Bitcoin use. I want to thank you for listening to the program. Again, I want to thank Let's Talk Bitcoin for having us on their podcast network. Check us out at SovereignBTC.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SovereignBTC. And be sure to like us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash SovBTC. We love you. I want to remind you, once again, live free and prosper. <laughs>